You choose Columbus Business First every week to give you the inside industry intelligence for nearly every business sector in Central Ohio. And Columbus Business First chose Crate Media as its official podcast partner for its unique show, Women of Influence, now 70 episodes strong. With 4 million shows, hundreds of millions of listeners, and industry advertising revenues approaching $4 billion, podcasting is the fastest-growing audio medium in the U.S. From law to medical, construction to automotive, retail to real estate, every brand has a story. Let Crate Media help tell yours. Visit crate.media slash CBF to learn more about how we can help while receiving a free one-hour casting session with our expert producers, which will help to uncover and shape your company's branded podcast. To learn more about sponsoring Columbus Business First Women of Influence podcast, please email Advertising Director Steve Hewitt at shewitt at bizjournals.com to get started. That's S-H-E-W-I-T-T at bizjournals.com. I help people solve problems, right? We'll say, well, why can't they solve their own problems? And sometimes it's like, well, because it's more complicated than that, right? So it is. It's satisfying to really sit with folks and talk about what it is that they're trying to accomplish or, you know, what problem it is that we're trying to solve and and get to that solution or, or those multiple solutions that really make sense. From Columbus Business First, it's Women of Influence, an interview series showcasing some of the most inspiring women in the Central Ohio business community. Jane Higgins Marks didn't spend her childhood dreaming of being a lawyer, but as she wrapped up college with an English degree in hand, she found herself searching for a way to apply it. At LSAT, law school, and two decades with the same firm later, she now leads Carlisle Passion and Murphy as its managing partner, a job she started in early 2021. She recently visited our studio to talk about her role, the lessons she's learned in her corner of the law, and what's not realistic about fictional portrayals of lawyers. And have you have you spent your whole career at this firm? Yes, I'm a lifer at Carlisle yeah. Patchen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you're from Ohio originally? I grew up in Sandusky, Ohio, okay. so I am from Ohio. Got it. Kind of migrated to central Ohio for undergrad and then stayed for law school mm-hmm. and Clerked one summer at a firm in Sandusky, but had gotten accustomed to the amenities of a bigger city and knew I wanted to practice here as opposed to there. What uh, what type of law do you do primarily? So my practice is primarily focused on trusts and estates, uh, but I also do some general business representation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Was that, well, let's, let's go by, way back. When did you first know you wanted to be a lawyer? I didn't. I'm not one of these people that knew for my whole life I was going to be a lawyer, right? I um, had uh, an English literature degree and an economics degree. And when I finished undergrad, I was kind of trying to figure out what to do with those. And law kind of seemed like a natural extension of the two of those. So sat for the LSAT and applied to law schools and kind of the rest is history. Mm-hmm. And somebody with an English degree, I feel like perhaps I should have considered it. As a <laughs> 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 like my dad's a lawyer, my brother's a lawyer as a lawyer. And especially my brother was like, don't go to law school. So A lot lot of people say that. I think it's a great career. It's been a great career for me. It's rewarding and satisfying and all work is hard work, Uh right? But uh I do feel like I'm helping people on a daily basis. Carlisle Patchen is Columbus's 18th largest law firm, according to Columbus Business First Research. With Marks at the helm, it's getting bigger. 
How big are y'all? How many interns do you have? We owe roughly, let's say 35, roughly mm-hmm. 35. Is there anything strategically you're working on, growth, changes, anything, or kind of that you're excited about? Um, we have been growing, which is great, and adding some new practice areas that we think complement the work that, that we do. Um, we brought on a, a patent and trademark attorney within the last 18 months, and that's proven to be a really good addition. I think we started in Columbus as a as a business law firm, right? We're full service now, but our client base is still a lot of small and medium-sized business owners and their businesses. Um, and that's certainly work that has become incredibly relevant to that group of clients. Um, we're also doing succession planning within our own practice groups, right, to make sure that as some of our more senior attorneys plan and prepare for retirement, that we have the younger, you know, lawyers in place who will eventually take over that practice mm-hmm. and continue to grow the team and the group. Um, so we've, we've definitely had focus on that. Uh, we've seen some successful practice transitions take place. That's been good and healthy, I think. So we, you know, we're, we're getting to goal setting time, right? Mm-hmm. It's almost the end of the year. We'll sit down and, and, you know, set some goals for the firm, set some goals for our department, set some goals individually. Uh, we do operate from a strategic plan, which, you know, we do every two or three years just mm-hmm. to make sure that we're keeping our an eye on the big picture, right, at the same time that we're in the day-to-day. With today's tight labor market, nearly every guest we have on this podcast is grappling with issues related to recruitment and retention. I wanted to know what that looks like in the legal field, where training and hiring work a little bit differently. What what does the picture look right now? Is it hard for you guys to, to find young attorneys or is your pipeline pretty strong and how are you approaching retention? I mean, we've been fairly fortunate. I would say that when we've needed to hire, we've been able to find the right person for the position. Um, But we've had to be more intentional in our recruiting. Gone are the days where you place an ad and a bunch of people respond and you can hire accordingly, right? We've actually had to kind of be our own recruiter in some regards and kind of look for folks Mm -hmm. um, locally that we might be interested in bringing on and and making phone calls. Um, So I would say that's different than maybe when I started. We also just hired our summer associate. We haven't done that in a while, so that's been kind of fun. When you look at the, the... uh, statistics, right? Columbus Bar Association keeps some stats. Like 75% of, of new associates will change positions in the first three years. So we've had more success over the years recruiting somebody who's been practicing a couple of mm-hmm. years um, because then they really do stay. Mm-hmm. Although I think we're also kind of unusual. Like there's a lot of folks like me at Carlisle who've basically spent our whole careers there. It's just a really, I don't know, it's a really, it was a really good fit for me. And I think when you talk to others similarly situated, they'll say the same thing. Mm-hmm. Nice culture, nice people, uh-huh. a lot of freedom to develop your practice and your book of business in the way that's comfortable for you. And 
Um, I always had mentoring available. I feel like we do a good job of continuing to focus on that. Mm-hmm. People just get hands-on, real practice experience right out of the gate. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, it's evidence of moving up the ladder, staying there the whole time. So yeah, a lot of clearly investment in you. A lot of people who took interest and, you know, who made it their right mm-hmm. responsibility, so to speak, to help me grow and develop. Mark started as managing partner in early 2021, a bit of a theme with guests on this podcast. Nearly two years in, I asked her to look back on that transition. If you could tell me a little bit about what your day job as managing partner looks like. Are you still, you know, doing a lot of the same work you were doing before you had that job? Or is it much more kind of managerial, less less in the law? <laughs> sure. So <clears throat> I'm still in the practice, so <laughs> to speak. So I'm meeting with and... Um, helping clients on a daily basis and my managing partner responsibilities are really in addition Mm -hmm. to that. So uh, the majority of my day is spent in the practice Mm -hmm. and then as things come up throughout the day, and Mm -hmm. of course they do, and every day has its own cadence, right? I'll, you know, do the, the, the tasks and responsibilities that are related to the managing partner role. Uh, as needed. And you moved into that role in 2021? Yes. Correct? Yes. What was the biggest adjustment about that? Um, I would say there really wasn't one. Uh, so I had been serving in the capacity as administrative partner for a number of years, primarily as training for the role. So I understood what the position meant mm-hmm. and it was really adding a title, I think, to mm-hmm. the responsibilities that I was already doing. Mm-hmm. Plus, we're a little bit different in that we're governed actually by a three-person management team. So while I have the title that folks outwardly recognize, you know, I have two other partners who sit at the management table with me. When I was in college, many of the lawyers in my life were quick to tell me not to go to law school. It's a refrain you hear a lot. But Marx has clearly found a job she likes and a place she likes to do it. So I wanted to find out what appeals to her about it. So what is, what's your favorite part of the job, of the work that you do? Um, I think my, the ability to, to get to be creative and problem solve, right? A lot of, like when my kids say, what do you do, right? It's like, I help people solve problems, right? And they'll say, well, why can't they solve their own problems? And sometimes it's like, well, because it's more complicated than that, Right. So it is. It's satisfying to really sit with folks and talk about what it is that they're trying to accomplish or, or what, you know, what problem it is that we're trying to solve and, and get to that solution or, or those multiple solutions that really make sense. So the, cha- the challenge, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And then also really just the ability, right, to, to help somebody through a difficult situation. You know, part of Trust in Estates is administering an estate when someone has passed away, um, administering a trust after someone has passed away and, you know, walking with someone through a difficult time. Mm -hmm. What are some lessons you've learned about handling those conversations or or working with people on that? How do you, um, I don't know, how do you handle those, those tough interactions? So it's different for every person, right? I mean, estate planning can be incredibly difficult for some individuals. Acknowledging our own mortality is easier for some than others, right? I think that's a barrier for some people to 
even getting a will in place because mm-hmm. they can't bring themselves to the table to talk about when I die. It's not if I die, right? It's when I go. But I also think the greatest gift you can leave to those that you care about is a plan, right? A roadmap, directions, the, the ease of administration, right? Having made those decisions and pre-thought it out so that someone else doesn't have to figure out what could have or should have been. And, you know, in some instances, it takes options and opportunities off the table. Mm -hmm. Failure to plan eliminates some options and opportunities. So, you know, when you can get someone to the table to have that card conversation, right? It's satisfying at the end to hear them say that was a little easier than I thought it was going to be. Right. So it's being sensitive to, you know, that particular client's situation and motivations, right? And then walking with them through the project. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is hard, right? I, in a lot of ways, death is unpredictable. Not everyone is hit with a critical illness that turns terminal and has time to prepare. I mean, some people just check out, right? Mm-hmm. So um, it's particularly difficult for some people who are left behind, right? Everybody copes differently. Mm-hmm. Everybody deals with it. You know, some people clean out the house immediately and like it's over and some people can never clean out the house. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. Um, you know, how do you, how do you manage through that process while, while also managing the duties and obligations, right, that, that come with serving as perhaps executor or trustee, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There, yeah. there are some things you can't ignore because the law says you have to take the next step. Mm-hmm. It's hard for some people. My husband's godfather just died, and so my father-in-law is his executor, and it has been, like, weeks of... And he had a lot of stuff, like, all planned mm-hmm. out, but it's just, like, been so daunting for him, like, going through everything with his estate. So. It can be overwhelming. Mm-hmm. And, you know, some folks are more organized than others. Yeah. I have those few wonderful clients who have it all in a notebook, and it's all tabbed and, right, spelled out, and others were looking through the house for important documents and passcodes <laughs> and trying to piece that puzzle uh-huh. together, right? Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. I We started our will when we had our, my daughter, but my dad just did it first. Yeah. He's alert. yeah. We never like signed it, so I hope it still counts. <laughs> you need to get that baby signed. Yeah. It we does not to, count. Like, I think you need to put that on your checklist for this week. I know, I know. I really do need to follow up with him. Of course, every job has its challenges. Anyways, what's your what is your least favorite part of your job, mm. or the most challenging? If you want to spin it, oh, you can say it either <laughs> way. I'm not really a glass half empty kind of girl. I mean, I don't I don't know if 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 there's anything that I really don't like. Right? I mean, we all tackle the things first, I think, or at least have a tendency to tackle the things first during the day that we enjoy the most. Mm-hmm. So what's left on, on my list, right, at the end of the day, those things that I have to punch out before I go home. Um, timekeeping probably isn't my favorite responsibility, but it's important. It's mm-hmm. how we as lawyers get paid, right? We're either billing by the project or billing by the hour. So um, a lot of times before I call it quits at the end of the day, it's me getting those last entries in on my timesheet. Mm-hmm. It's just the nature of private practice. Yeah. It's 
what are the some? way it is. So I guess, you know, a, a small administrative detail, right? It <laughs> might be my least favorite piece. Well, that's good then. I mean, you like the, the bulk of what you're doing, the real. But I don't, I'm not a conflict avoider. I don't, I don't, I don't have any trouble making a hard phone call mm-hmm. or having a hard conversation. So it's not what like I dread s- that. <laughs> What what are some misconceptions you think people have about lawyers that you like to dispel? Oh, I'm in the courtroom all the time, right? Mm-hmm. Like I remember when I first started practicing, like my grandmother was waiting for me to be in the courtroom and really there wasn't going to be much opportunity for that. I, I do a little bit of probate litigation, right? But in the sense that people understand lawyers from what they see on TV, right? I, I wasn't going to be doing trials, right? And trial work, I think, is is what a lot of folks are familiar mm-hmm. with. So it's not all trial work. It <laughs> <laughs> um, doesn't mean I don't go to hearings. It doesn't mean I don't advocate for clients. It's just not in the way that mm-hmm. that is made for TV, not right? Not an objection. Just like the reading of the will, right? Yeah. Like every movie, there's a reading of the will. Like, there's no reading of the will. <laughs> That's you're saying that Knives Out is not accurate. Yeah, and it's... really not. Really so much. Uh, that's disappointing. I'm sorry. Uh, well, are there any, this is my more fun question, are there any fictional presentations of lawyers that you find realistic? Or what's your favorite one? Oh, golly. This is where my husband would tease that <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not very current on pop culture. <laughs> I don't know that I can answer that question. Um, trying to think of even what shows we've watched recently that are law related. You know, binge watched Suits, right? Uh-huh. Like, there's a lot of that that's made for TV, but it was it was a wonderful, wonderful series. Did you watch The Good Wife? Um, no. Oh, that's probably my favorite. Legal no, show. I'm trying to think about what else. There was that guardianship movie recently, where that woman is the evil guardian. It's pretty. It's pretty. Oh, Are you talking about the one with Rosamund Pike, where she's the? Is she a guardian in that? Of kids or elderly people? Elderly people. Yeah, I. I, I I care. Yeah, I something. care a lot. I care a lot. Right? Yeah, yeah. Like that was, that, was, <laughs> that was really good, but not really an accurate representation uh-huh, of uh-huh. the guardianship process. Yes. Right? Part of Marx's practice involves guardianship, just not in the way Rosamund Pike's character did it. We talked more about that. What brought you into that or what appeals? And t- tell us a little bit about what you do in that. Um, so really, any any. Any, any matter that could be brought before the probate court, right, would be an aspect of my practice. And so probate court processes estates when folks pass away. Um, it's the court that handles name changes. It's the court that handles adoptions. It's the court that handles guardianships, along with some other things. But those are the ones that come up most frequently. So first guardianship case was probably a family member, right, mm. uh, of, of, of an elderly person who didn't plan in advance, right? So why do we need guardianship? Folks who don't do advanced planning, who don't have uh, a durable general power of attorney or a healthcare power of attorney are those who are most vulnerable for guardianship. So if you, you as an individual don't appoint a legal representative for yourself when you're incapacitated, right, then 
the court has to declare you incapacitated when you are, in fact, incapacitated and assign you, and that's really what it is, assign you a legal representative. So uh, oftentimes we'll have family members who are caregiving for, for elderly, right, loved ones. Sometimes it's a neighbor, and those are the folks that we're helping make an application to the probate court to be appointed guardian. Mm-hmm. It's a it, it's a tough standard, right? You mm-hmm. have to prove your fitness to the court. Mm-hmm. So not everybody is eligible. Mm-hmm. And then the court is the superior guardian. So even when an individual is appointed as a guardian, they're still answering to the court. So mm-hmm. there's reporting obligations that go with it. So it's just an extension of being a trust in the state's attorney. Got it. This is another pop culture question, but did you have an opinion on the Britney Spears conservatorship? You know, I didn't follow that terribly closely. I mean, conservatorships are a appropriate in certain, certain certain circumstances, right? And it's really up to the court to decide if someone has been restored to, to competency, if you will. There are certainly circumstances like hers where, right, an individual may have been subject to a guardianship or a conservatorship initially and then has, has, Proven right to the mm. satisfaction of the court that they're capable of of running their own affairs from a legal standpoint. Mm. So I don't know that I was yeah, I don't necessarily <laughs> in the free Britney camp, but um, it, you know it appears that yeah. at least to the court's satisfaction that was resolved. It's so it's I, again. It's- I'll get off of pop culture, but she, you know, she posts all these crazy things on Instagram now. But just because you're posting crazy things on Instagram doesn't necessarily mean that you're that you not, are crazy or yeah. not capable of handling your own affair. You know, I don't, I don't. There's right yeah. a very limited group of people who know if that was or wasn't the right thing, mm-hmm. right? And yeah. I won't substitute my judgment for there. <laughs> Um, I had one guardianship reversed. I'm trying to think, like, I've been doing this, what, 22 years? In the course of my 22 years, I've had one guardianship reversed. So it's not that common. mm -hmm. I mean, that really isn't that common. And yes, guardianship and conservatorship are different, but the process is Mm -hmm. similar. Clearly, pop culture is not necessarily Marx's hobby. But I did want to know how she spends her free time. Well, where will we find you when you're not working? How do you unwind uh, after a stressful week? Um, oh my gosh, I I'm rarely sitting on the couch. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't sit still well. So I do help coach some of our sons' sports teams. So we just finished the cross country season. Um, I helped with that. Now I'm helping another mom coach fourth grade boys basketball. Oh boy! Um, I will take the spring off. So lots of kid activities. I volunteer at the school. I help do some fundraising for the school, and then I'm also active on a couple of boards. Mm-hmm. So um, I don't know if you're familiar with Lakeside Chautauqua, but that's up on Lake Erie near where I grew up. Um, I'm I'm on their board. Um, I serve the Guardianship Service Board locally and Legal Aid Society of Columbus Board. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I'll find something yeah. to do. <laughs> if I'm really tinkering, I might be sprucing up the yard. Uh-huh. Um, I love to cook and bake. Are you a runner too? Are you? Are you oh yeah, I get my exercise in. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah, uh-huh. yeah. Well, I figured when approaching I can. cross country. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It's just. Fitting all of that, yeah. right? Yeah. You know. Keeping yourself busy. 
It's no trouble. (laughs) (laughs) And finally, as always, I asked Marks for her best advice. Well, the other thing I always like to ask, and you can really take this in any direction, but if you were to offer a piece of advice to a young woman, you know, just graduating from college, starting in the workforce, what's your, what's your number one tip as she starts her career? (sighs) Sitting on as many, many meetings as you can observe as much as you can and really soak it all up and be a sponge and find a champion. Right. I think you need those two things. I think we're often in a hurry right, to get to the next level or to get to the next step, maybe appreciating the, the place that you are at and just soaking in as much from that moment in time that you're in. Not, not saying don't have goals, not saying don't push for the next thing, but I think there's a lot of value in being comfortable with where you're at um, and where you're trying to go. So yeah, Champion made a big difference for me in my career. Terrific. Well, great. Well, I think that wraps us up. So thank you so much, Jane. Oh my gosh. It was great to chat with you. Thank you. This is very fun. All right. Terrific. And thanks so much to all of you for joining us as well. If you're not already, then follow us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. and You'll be notified of each new episode as it's released. Another huge thank you to Jane Higgins-Marks for joining us. I'm Eleanor Kennedy, Assistant Managing Editor of Columbus Business First, and this has been Women of Influence.